I am so thankful to be with you. Uh, several of you asked, uh, I'm going to share stories about Paul, and I just want to start with that right there. We've got some pictures uh, that I sent ahead this morning to Tiffany. I think we've got them on the screen. The first one, this is Paul. I met Paul when he was eight years old. And uh, so this is, uh, one of his sisters is missing there, Kara, but the point is, this is what he looked like. And then I had a chance to baptize him when he was around 11 years old. This is me looking closer like to Jesus back in those days. And then Paul's in the middle there and just having the privilege to watch your pastor grow up and become the person he is today has been a joy. And so when you live as long as I have, I met him almost 40 years ago. And so it's just been fun to see him follow God's call. And today, as you uh, have been studying the book of Acts, uh, we talked about how I might be able to just come and do a tail end uh, of that series and talk to you about one person in the book of Acts uh, named Barnabas. The message today is called Be a Barnabas. I want to talk to you about what that would look like. Now, I know right away uh, some of you were shocked when you were handed message notes uh, because Paul said that's not a normal practice here. And I just want you to know if those are useful to you. Some people tell me that they actually look at those after the message. If it helps you also follow along, fine. If not, just leave them on the seat. We'll recycle them. But I will tell you this. If you have sheets hanging out of your Bible, people will think you're more spiritual. <laughs> so it's just an idea. Just keep that in mind, okay? So there's an Old Testament uh, account, uh, before I talk to you about the book of Acts, there's, there's something curious in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2. And I think we've got it here on the screen. But uh, this happened between an older Elijah and a younger Elisha. And here's what happened. When they had crossed the Jordan River, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Some of you know that Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind. He never died. He was taken up. And so, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. And we know that eventually God granted that prayer. And Elisha did twice as many miracles and some things happened, and yet they both were mightily used by God. And so I start out the message notes here with this question. I think it'll be on the screen as well. Is there a Bible character you'd like a double portion of their spirit? Is there a Bible character? I used to take my daughter, she's a mother of two now and stuff, but when she was a girl, I'd take her out on dates to Panera every Monday night. And uh, she tells me she still remembers that one of the things I would do is I'd say, who's one of your favorite Bible characters lately? And she just told me a few weeks ago, she still remembers when I told her mine was Barnabas. And Barnabas is all over the book of Acts. And so today, what I'd like to do with you while we're together is I'd like to just look at four snapshots of Barnabas's life. We could do more, but again, for the sake of time, and then two takeaways. And then before we end, some practical ways that you might become a Barnabas. And again, if you come back tonight, we'll actually go deeper into the whole subject of encouragement. But I want you to see why uh, being a Barnabas could be so important. Let me just ask you, why do we need a message like this? I mean, why did Paul ask me to come and speak on the subject of encouragement tonight and then even Barnabas this morning? I think he was struck by the fact that we live in a very cynical world right now. It feels like it's gotten darker, doesn't it? It feels like if, if we don't find encouragement, I, I will just say as a pastor, 
I've never seen more people on the brink of quitting. And therefore, I think it's really important that we learn more about people like Barnabas, because Barnabas' whole life was changed when he met Jesus. He had no idea he would become the person that, that God was going to make him, but as he followed Jesus, Jesus made him a Barnabas. See, that wasn't actually his real name. And I also, I, I read a story years ago that came to my mind when I think about why we need this message. In her book, Crowded Pews and Lonely People, Marion Jacobson mentions a first grader named Billy, whose classmate Jim lost his father in a tractor accident. Billy prayed for Jim every day. One day, as Billy was walking down the stairs to school, he saw Jim and decided to reach out to him. How are you getting along? Oh, just fine, just fine. Bill continued, do you know I've been praying for you ever since your daddy was killed? The, older, the other little guy stopped and looked at Billy. Then he grabbed his hand and led him out back behind the school building, and then he opened up. You know, that was a lie when I said things are going fine. They aren't fine. We were having trouble with the cows and with the machines. My mother doesn't know what to do, but I didn't know you were praying for me. And I think all of us need a Billy, all of us need a Barnabas right now, maybe more than ever. And what's great is that all of us can become a Billy or a Barnabas in the little things that we're gonna see in Barnabas's life. So would you pray with me as we get ready to look at these snapshots from Barnabas? Now, Lord, I know it's so much different when you come to each seat and you speak to us personally. So I pray that in some way I can just be used by you to disappear, but people would just sense that you're talking right to them. I don't know how you do it, but you're amazing. And I pray that you would encourage every person here, especially those who may be on the brink of quitting. I pray that you'll help Genesis Church be a Barnabas church in this community. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. And if you want to look in your Bible, you can, but we're going to also put it up here on the screen. Here's the four snapshots. The first snapshot that we see is in Acts 4. That's when we first see Barnabas' name. And so I'm going to read to you from the first uh, several verses there in chapter 4 at the end of the chapter. All the believers were one in heart and mind. This is the early church in Jerusalem now. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Isn't that amazing? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, would you read this next verse with me out loud when we come to verse 36? Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And then we go to verse 37, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, did you notice what's Barnabas's real name? Joseph, but he got a nickname. Now, why do you think the apostles gave him that nickname? Because every time he walked into the room, they sensed an uplifting spirit. 
Some of you are Cardinals fans, and I'm going to guess some of you are Cubs fans. So I'm going to take a risk here and do a Cardinals player quote. And uh, it's Willie McGee. And Willie McGee, uh, according to his former manager, uh, according to the former manager, Mike Matheny, said that Willie McGee used to love to say, some people light up a room when they enter, some people when they leave. <laughs> and the question is, who are you? Who am I? Do we light up a room when we walk in? I'm not talking about being dramatic, but do we lift the atmosphere? Barnabas, Joseph, became Barnabas because the Christians just said, every time Joseph is around, it's like son of encouragement walked into the room. So thankful. And I believe that's because he let the life of Jesus rub off on him in such a way that he rubbed off on other people like that. If you're following along and using the notes, notice this, that he sells a field to help those in need. He sells a field to help those in need. And uh, when you think of that, some people go, well, I don't have a field, so I could never do that. But his action there inspired other people to say, what do I have? And so the question that I just put in this first snapshot, just for us to reflect on, if we're looking for ways to encourage, is who can I share some of my resources with? Who can I share some of my resources with? You see, the early church, even the watching world, noticed that people no longer said, mine. They began to understand that it was the Lord's, and therefore they could share it. They could hold it more loosely. It didn't mean that they didn't enjoy it, there's nothing wrong with enjoying our resources. But sometimes the greatest way to enjoy our resources is to share them. I have a buddy who, after he became a believer, he went around to every possession he had and he wrote, this is the Lord's. I have my checkbook has actually, every time I write a check, it just says, this is, remember, this is the Lord's. And what happens is, is when you begin to think that way, you can share. So some of you you know, you say, well, I don't have that much, but, you know, you may be able to share, for instance, childcare. You may be able to share a tool. You may be able to share a meal. You may be able to share money. You may be able to share time. But what is it? What's in your hand? Because when you begin to say, everything I have is the Lord's, and now I can share it. I don't have to just enjoy it myself or clutch to it. That's what happened. Barnabas started doing that. And evidently, when he did that in the early church, those in need said, he's thinking about somebody besides himself. Have you noticed that one of the ways Jesus changes our life is, this is my story, is that sin turns us in on ourselves. Jesus turns us outward. And he helps us begin to think about other people and how we can look at even our resources differently. That's snapshot number one. Snapshot number two is found in Acts 9, 26 through 28. And again, we'll read it together. I'll, I'll actually, if you want to follow along, I won't make you read this long thing here. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This is the Saul when he first comes to know Jesus. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Why? Because, you know, he'd been persecuting the Christians. He'd been killing them and putting them in prison. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly 
in the name of the Lord. If you're following in the notes there, notice that uh, he brings Saul to the apostles and vouches for him. He brings Saul to the apostles and vouches for them. Have you ever had somebody vouch for you? It's, 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 sometimes it's the whole reason. I mean, the only reason I'm standing here is because Paul vouched for me. Most of you don't know me, but he vouched for me. It means a lot when someone stands by you and says, I believe in this person. I believe they could be helpful to us. And that's what uh, Barnabas did for Saul, who eventually became Paul, by the way. And so notice this, that if you're following along, is who is having a hard time fitting in that I can welcome? Who is having a hard time fitting in that I can welcome? My dad was a pastor, and so we moved several times. And I actually remember several people. I remember there was a, a boy named Bruce when I went to one of the churches. I'm sitting in Sunday school. I don't know any of these other kids. And Bruce sat next to me. And I remember that first Sunday, he shared his pocket knife with me. And I remember thinking, Bruce found a way to help me fit in with that class and got me started. Many of you have helped other people fit into this church. You've welcomed them. Not only do we have a welcome team, which I know this was doing a great job today, but also some of you, you just pay attention to maybe who's sitting near you, and you just try and say hello, and you try and get them started. It's a simple thing, but Barnabas had this way of just speaking up for people and saying, let's make him welcome. Let's make him a part of us. The third snapshot is found in Acts 11, 19 through 26. I love this story. I'll read it again, and then we'll look at uh, what it means for our lives. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, which was up north of Jerusalem, and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, what I want us to see here is that um, in, in this passage is that he sees God working in Antioch and he disciples them. He sees God working in Antioch and he disciples them. Now, there's a little bit to this story I just want to explain. Jesus had commanded the Christians to go to all nations. But for the most part, it had stayed for several years just in Jerusalem. It was us four and no more. But all of a sudden, because of persecution, which was brought on by Saul, by the way, all of a sudden now people disperse and they start gossiping the gospel is what it literally means. They start sharing about Jesus with other people. And as they do it, they break the rules. They share with Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Anybody who's not Jewish. And so this had never happened before. So the apostles send Barnabas up north to Antioch to this Gentile region to make sure this is really God 
And when he gets there, it says that he saw what God had done. I like what the NIV used to say in an earlier edition. It said, and when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. Isn't that a great phrase? The evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So powerful. And so he did that. And if you're following along, uh, for us, who is new in the faith that I can cheer on and build into? Who is new in the faith that I can cheer on and build into? If you've been a growing Christian, you know how much somebody had to help you get more and more acquainted with the Christian life. And when I think about some of the people that helped me, uh, there was a guy, I used to work in a grocery store, and, there, and I had a Sunday school teacher named Horst Fiebig. I've never forgotten that name. He was German. And Horst was a runner, but he also would run grocery uh, runs for his wife. So he always had this little slip of paper in his hand when he'd walk in. I'd be bagging groceries, and I'd say, hi, Mr. Feebig. And um, I noticed that his little slip of paper, I said, what is that? He said, well, it's my grocery list on one side, and it's my Bible verses I'm meditating on on the other side when I run. I said, hey, I'm trying to get more acquainted with the Bible. Would you share a Bible verse with me every time you come in? Because we see each other a lot. And he said, absolutely. He said, the only way I'm going to agree to that, though, is when we see each other, you have to share one with me. And by doing that, he helped me realize that I could grow by learning the Word of God, not only with other Christians, but digging deep myself so that then I had something to share. And this is what Barnabas did. Barnabas built up people and said, look. Now notice he said he urged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So he cheered them on because isn't it easy just to be half-hearted following of Jesus after a while? It's so easy to be a nominal Christian. You know why we need encouragement? It takes courage to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It takes courage to surrender and give him our whole lives. And Barnabas did that. So the fourth snapshot is found in Acts 15, and this is actually kind of a tricky one, but I'll read it to you. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. See, they went on a mission trip together. Acts 13, uh, God had said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I've got them to do. So Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. If you're following on in the notes, he stands by John Mark, even though Paul disagrees. He stands by John Mark even though Paul disagrees. This is a tricky one. This is when believers who both love Jesus and both believe in the mission of being sent together, they disagree about who should be on the team. John Mark had really let them down by deserting them in Pamphylia. And it evidently bothered Saul who became Paul so much that they disagreed. Now we learn later that part of this that's messy is that Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin or family member. And so there may be a little bit in there, but at the same time, he decided to stick with them even though it would mean their partnership was shattered to some degree. Fortunately, we read later 
that that got healed uh, to some degree, and Paul actually came around to Barnabas' point of view. But at that time, Paul just couldn't do it. And so if you're following along, here's the question. Who's failed and needs another chance? Who's failed and needs another chance? Paul mentioned that I was a youth pastor in Springfield. I, I failed really big one time. Um, my, another youth pastor and I decided we were going to have this thing in 1986 called Youth Wave 86. And we decided we are going to partner together. We were going to invite as many youth in the community as we could. We were going to bring in a big Christian band. We were going to rent some places. And before you knew it, we had racked up thousands of dollars in commitments. The only problem is not as many kids came, and it didn't go as well as we hoped. In fact, the night of the concert, we had to go to them and tell them we didn't have all the money. And I remember driving over to a man's house who had told me, if you ever need anything, let me know, and asking him if he'd be willing to help write a check so that we could give them something more. It was a terrible moment. Well, then we still had a lot to do because we still had outstanding things. And so I'll never forget some of our leaders got together for their monthly meeting and the question was, what do we do with our youth pastor who's just made a very big mistake that's cost us a lot of money? And there was a lot of quiet, and I, was, I, I knew I was eating humble pie. And a man named Paul spoke up finally and said, I think we picked Jeff as our youth pastor, and I think this is a moment when we need to stand behind him. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I will tell you that John Mark learned from his mistake, and I learned from mine, and I'm so thankful that people didn't give up on me when I failed. And there's just times that there may be somebody here, you may be a person that's failed, and you wonder if you should quit. Can I just say to you, don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus still has plans for you. You may be able to not see that far right now, but don't quit. Barnabas did that with John Mark, and John Mark eventually, we see this at the end of 2 Timothy 4. Look at what Paul writes, the last letter he ever wrote. Look at what he says. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that a great story? Mark eventually became helpful not only to Peter. Did you know Mark is Peter's gospel? So Mark was helpful to Peter, but he also became helpful to Paul. And part of the reason why is because instead of quitting or being seen as a failure, Barnabas helped him see that God wasn't done with him yet. So those are the four snapshots. What are a couple takeaways that we might look at the book of Acts as well? Well, if you're following along, notice this, that encouragers elevate and celebrate the ministry of others. Encouragers elevate and celebrate the ministry of others. How do I get this? Well, first of all, if you've never seen Acts 13, Acts 13 is when Saul's name changes from Saul to Paul in the book of Acts, verse 9. But verse 2, uh, it tells us that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Do you notice the order of names there? It's, it's what? Barnabas and Saul. So if you read through Acts 13, it stays Barnabas and Saul for a while until you get to verse 13 where it starts saying Paul and his companions, 
And then you get to verse 46, and just notice this. If you, do you notice a little shift here? Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. And the rest of the time until Acts 15, which I told you about, it's Paul and Barnabas. Have you ever, you ever had somebody's name get exalted or put in front of yours? After you were used to being the other way around? Have you ever had to struggle or be envious or jealous when somebody else was used by God more than you? One of the things that we've tried to do as a church is that we pray for another church every Sunday in Springfield. And it's helped us realize that God wants to work in other churches besides ours. But also on those Sundays when we find out that maybe one of the churches in town, we had a church in town in Springfield a while back that baptized 150 people on one Sunday. And I remember we had baptized maybe 30 for like a really big Sunday for us. And I remember I immediately got on that social media page and celebrated it. Because friends, it's about the kingdom of God more than about my little kingdom or my little church or my little situation. And when Barnabas had that, he was willing to say, I'm, I'm glad if John Mark gets better. I'm glad if Paul actually gets used by God more than I do. If he has a double portion, that's great. I can celebrate that. And encouragers look for ways to go. God wants to work through you. God wants to use you too. God may use you more than me. And I'm okay with that. They elevate it and celebrate. Notice one more thing is that encouragers challenge us to fully trust and obey Jesus. They challenge us. Now, here's one thing I'll probably talk about more tonight. I know all of you may not be there, but just know this, that if I come across today saying that encouraging is just always being nice, always being uplifting, the word for encourage also has an idea of exhort, challenge, come on. You can do more than you think you can do. It has that. And so notice that when he saw the evidence of the grace of God at Antioch, what did he do? He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Come on, do not cave in. Do not give in to the temptations to go halfway. Come on, you can do this. You can give yourself fully to Jesus. He gave, our, he gave himself fully to us. Let's go for broke. And so I am so thankful for the people in my life that have encouraged me to keep trusting, to keep obeying Jesus, even if it means swimming against the stream. Some of you may have heard, this has been a number of years ago since he became well-known, but the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you've ever studied his life, he spent many years in the Soviet Union uh, prisons there in Siberia called the Gulag Archipelago. And he tells of a time when he just got so discouraged. I mean, can you imagine being in prison, being falsely accused, and being in Siberia where you've got to use shovels every day in the freezing temperatures? He just got to a place where one day he decided he was just going to quit. He was going to lean on his shovel and wait for the guards to come over and beat him to death. But just as he was stopping, another uh, prisoner reached over with his shovel, and he dug in the dirt the sign of the cross at Sultanism's feet. And before the guards could see it, he erased it in the dirt. Sultanism said, 
that little gesture so energized him that he was able to keep going because he remembered that when Jesus felt like quitting, he kept walking up that hill. Aren't you thankful that we serve a Savior who, when he wanted to quit, did not quit, but he can now live in us by his Holy Spirit, and he can help us keep going so that we will trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so as I think about encouraging, how do we bring this all home? How do we get practical? And again, I know some of you may not come back tonight, so I still want to give you some ways you can practice encouragement. And I hope you'll think about it not as some big thing. I think if Barnabas was on the stage here and we all went, Barnabas, I, I don't think I could ever be as amazing of an encourager as you. And he would just say, you know how this happened in my life? Just one day at a time. Every day when I woke up, I just asked one question with the Lord. And I've listed it there at the very end of the notes there. And, that, and here it is on the screen as well. Lord, who can I encourage with you today and how? Who can I encourage with you today and how? And um, I, I don't know if you've seen this Bible verse. I've also listed it in the notes there. But it's Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And I love this because some of you will have different ideas about how to do this. But let's, is it okay if we all read it together? This is how we can all maybe be Genesis together today. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love that. And all the more, not less, but even more as Jesus gets closer to coming back. Why? Because it's going to probably get more challenging. That's why encouragement is going to be even more important. But how do we spur one another on? How do we stir one another up, encourage each other? Well, if you're uh, wondering about that, let me just say, I've, I've, I've been helped years ago when I heard these three phrases, a word, a look, or a touch. And by that, I mean an appropriate touch. But when I think about a word, some of you may know Brad and Jennifer Ward, and I think they're part of the Carmel campus mostly these days, but Jennifer grew up at Cherry Hills, just like Paul did. And in 1995, I met her when she was a young teenage girl, eventually officiated Brad and Jen's wedding, and it's been a wonderful thing to know her and her family. But I was thinking about this a couple years ago. I went through several bags of encouragement notes that I had received over the years. And in there, I found several from her parents. And they were just words of, appreciate you, remember to keep following Jesus. They just cheered me on. And when I read them again, I realized the power of a word. And sometimes we don't say the words we mean to say because we think we gotta say a lot of words. But sometimes one sentence can put people back on their feet. And so you may text a word, you may write a word, you may speak a word, you may share a word of scripture, but a word can be powerful in someone's life. You may say to somebody that's younger in this congregation, I see something in you. I see God's work that he wants to do in your life. A word, a second is a look. 
When my dad was in high school, he lived in a small Iowa town where there was only 100 kids in the high school. So there were 25 kids in his class, and evidently, because he and his sister got really good grades, evidently, then some of the other kids didn't like it, and then they just, the, the most popular kids decided to bully him for two years. And the way they did it was they told anybody in the school that was nice to my dad that they would pay a price. And uh, so it was easy to feel like, you know, uh, feel sorry for yourself. But my dad said during those hard two years, there was one girl in his class who would smile at him every once in a while. And he said, that smile sometimes kept me going. There's nothing romantic about it. It was just kindness. And she looked at him and saw him as a person. And friends, I hope you never underestimate how when you walk into a store, when you walk into a place of business, when you look at a server at lunch, that look can sometimes bleed Jesus onto them. You can be the light of the world, the salt of the earth by the way you look at somebody. It's powerful and the last is a touch. I was at a place uh, where I didn't know I was supposed to be a pastor yet. I was in my 20s, and Trish and I were part of a church in Wheaton. And there in Wheaton, um, we, um, we, we found great fellowship at this church. But there was a man who had lost three children all before the age of 18 who was an elder in that church. He eventually also was a boss at the place I worked at, but he didn't know me. The organization was too big. The church was too big. But they used to do communion where all the leaders would walk down front and they would serve us in the pews and then they would walk out after they were done. And it was kind of very, very um, high church. But anyway, what happened is, is when, it, when his name was Joe Bailey, when he walked down the row this particular Sunday, I was wrestling with whether or not God, what did he want to do with my life? I felt so lost, so confused. And all he did I don't know why he did this. He didn't do this for anybody else, but he just put his hand on my shoulder. It was almost like a brush as he walked by. And I will just say, I have never forgotten that touch. That touch came at just the right time. And sometimes you may just need to put your hand on someone's shoulder. You may need to give them a high five. You may need to reach out and shake their hand. You may just say, could I pray with you right now? But that touch may be life-giving especially if God's prompted you to do it and you're respectful of a person's dignity. So a word, a look, or a touch. You and I can do those, can't we? And this week, we can be a Barnabas. What would happen if every one of us left here today and said, Lord, who's one person that I could lift up today? And you can imagine if you add up each of those days when each one of us is seeking to be led by God like that, it could be amazing. So I'm very thankful to be part of your church service today. And I was wondering if I could pray for you real quick that God would help you uh, be a Barnabas in this community. And then we're gonna close with a song that uh, we sing at our church that Tiffany was really kind to learn that we can sing it together. So Lord, I don't know everyone here, but you do. And you know exactly what would be helpful for them. God, when we're tempted to turn in on ourselves, would you help us turn outward and look at other people? When we're discouraged, would you show us how to encourage? And I pray that as a result, 
things will get brighter in this community, not darker. In your name we pray, and for Jesus' sake, amen.